Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. All right. I guess it's my turn. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be looking at Mark again. We are now in, uh, still in the first chapter, rather. Uh, but we are in verses 21 through 34. Verses 21 through 34. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Mark chapter 1, 21 through 34. Jesus, the first, the first point, uh, Jesus has authority over humanity, uh, demons, uh, has all authority over all of humanity. That's supposed to, oh, oh, we have the reading there, okay. <laughs> Let's start with the reading then. I did that last week too. All right. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him, or serve them. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The Gospel of the Lord. So, now I will give us our first point. Jesus has all authority over all humanity. Jesus has all authority over all humanity. So I'm going to start with the first couple of verses here. And, and, he, uh, and they entered into Capernaum. So Capernaum uh, is kind of a cool city. It, it was uh, a pretty well-developed city. And there would have been, uh, it would have been a great station for Jesus to do his ministry out of. Uh, people seem to think, we don't know for sure, that Jesus, as he got older, he actually kind of made his home base in Capernaum. So, and here's a picture of him teaching in the synagogue. And so I think that's a pretty cool icon up there. So Jesus' primary earthly ministry was authoritative teaching. So although Jesus did a lot of cool miracles, right? He cast out demons, he healed people, um, the main thing that he did, his main mission, was to teach. Authoritative teaching was his main ministry. And his miracles amplify his authority as the God-sent Savior, but the miracles are not um, the object themselves, right? We don't worship Jesus because of the miracles. We worship Jesus because of who he is, right? And so we look at Jesus as this amazing authority, and because of his authority, he can, he can do what he does. And so we'll get into those in a minute. 
So Jesus did not simply retreat or, or repeat the traditions of other teachers. Jesus did not simply repeat the traditions of other teachers. And so this is important to notice as well. So when Jesus goes into the synagogue, they notice that he, that, or rather, it says in verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. And so it's kind of interesting that this, this authority is recognized by the scribes, and immediately this, un, this man with an unclean spirit cries out. So as soon as the authority is recognized, the demons cry out. And I just love that, right? As soon as they notice, oh my gosh, like the Son of God is here, they start to get worried. They start to panic. You know, this fear grips the demons, and they have to cry out in fear because they know that judgment, um, um, this impending judgment, this doom is coming for the demons, right? They, they know that Jesus is going to judge them. And so the, the cool thing about Jesus' authority is you'll notice, um, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, love your enemies, right? Uh, there's times in the gospel where it almost seems like Jesus is taking the Old uh, Testament and um, kind of like getting rid of it or, or replacing it, but that's not what's happening. What he's doing is, sorry, just keeps moving around in my face. Um, what he's actually doing is he's showing that he has authority over the law, right? So like the Sabbath was not made for man, but man was made for the Sabbath. And I am Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus teaches that. And so the Sabbath day, while it is holy, the one who makes it holy is God. God has authority over the Sabbath. Uh, same with clean foods, right? Um, they come to him and they, they ask him about you know, unclean and clean and what they, what they shouldn't be putting in their body. Jesus says, it's not what co- goes into a man's body that makes him unclean, but what comes out of his body, meaning the words that he says and his behaviors. So the things that come from the person make him unclean, not what he eats, right? And so we believe as Christians today that we are not restricted to certain foods. We can eat whatever is put in front of us. I mean, there's some discussion about blood because the life is in the blood, and so there does seem to be some of that in the New Testament where people, Christians still should probably avoid eating blood, but, but that's up for discussion. The main thing is that we can eat pretty much everything, right? We can eat, you know, shellfish, and we eat a lot of pig these days, especially here in West Texas. Nothing, cook, uh, nothing tastes better on the smoker than a pig, so that, that works well. Um, so anyways... Jesus is Lord over, um, over Scripture. He has authority over Scripture, and he teaches it as the one who wrote it, right? He doesn't remake traditions or rewrite the Bible. He, he interprets it because he's the one that um, has the authority. He's the one that wrote it through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus taught with his own authority, authority from the Father, and his word still has his, this final authority in our lives today. And so I think today sometimes um, when we read our Bibles, I I talked about this this morning in the sermon, it's easy for us to read the Bible as any other book. It's easy for us to just open this book and say, oh, well, I think I'm just going to read about, you know, 1 Samuel today because I'm kind of curious what 1 Samuel says. And we try to read it like we read any other book, but the thing about Holy Scripture is it's an authority in our lives. Or it's not an authority, it is the authority in our lives. It's God-breathed. And so when we read the Bible, we shouldn't read it just like any other book. We should read it as a mirror for our own lives. As we look into it, we should let it discern us. So this brings me to the next point of authority. So we talked about Jesus having authority over humanity. 
and he has authority to interpret the scriptures as God would have him interpret it. He has authority from the Father, and so he interprets the scripture with the ultimate authority. So the second point is Jesus has all authority over every unclean spirit. Jesus has all authority over every unclean spirit. That's verses 23 through 28. It says, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I love the question, what, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He's literally asking, what, what do you, as the Son of God, have to do with me, a demon? You know, what do you have to do with us? And that question, obviously, is nothing. God has nothing to do with demons. They are, you know, what fellowship can evil have with good? What fellowship can light have with darkness? And the question is none, obviously. They, they can't coexist. Light will cast out darkness every time. And so there is no way for them to exist. And so the immediate response is, have you come to destroy us? If you're here, judgment, you know, if you're here, it means judgment is here. That's essentially what's happening. Is the, re- the demons recognize that the kingdom of God has come. And it's come in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to cast out demons, to cast out this kingdom of darkness. And, they, and then he goes on to say, the demon does, he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebukes him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulses him and cries out with a loud voice, come, and then um, with a loud voice, and then came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? So that term authority comes up again. He has authority to interpret the scriptures. He also has authority to cast out demons. And so when, he, when, when God comes, the kingdom of heaven has come. I think I quoted that with Matthew uh, 12, 28. Um, you know, if, if the kingdom has come, you know, and demons are being cast out, that's how we know the kingdom is here. That's one of, one of the ways we recognize that the kingdom of heaven has come, is darkness can no longer, no longer be here. It can no longer um, reign over us. It can no longer have power over us the way it did, because now... The kingdom of God is here. And so, this next point, unclean spirits are, are demons, and they're called unclean spirits because they have defiled themselves by sin and are no longer holy. So these are most likely fallen angels. Um, there's some other theories about where demons come from, but the primary one that has won out over all the other theories about where demons have come from is that they're fallen angels. Uh, demons may be uh, attempting to exercise authority over Jesus by naming him, in the Bible, naming someone shows authority. So they're saying, hey, son of God, almost like disrespectfully, like, hey, son of God, what are you doing here? This is my kingdom. Son of God, get out of here. We're reigning here. What are you doing? What, is, what does this kingdom have to do with us? Get out of here. And Jesus calls him out. <laughs> he says, be silent. Don't speak that way. You have no authority here anymore. I'm here now. This is pretty powerful to think about. The next thing is the demons... Uh, the demons believe in Jesus, but belief is not enough to save them, right? Demons are not saved by believing. They know who Jesus is. They know that he has authority to cast out demons. They know that he's going to judge them. They really, they know these scriptures pretty well. But even though they know who Jesus is, belief is not enough to save them. James talks about even the demons believe, and they shudder. So belief is not enough to save. Belief is simply acknowledging who Jesus is. The next step is repenting and turning our lives over to God, submitting our lives to follow Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to do, is to believe, and then true belief, true faith means we submit our lives to him. 
The demons may also be attempting to expose Jesus' true identity before Jesus is ready. And so Jesus must prepare his apostles before his death and resurrection. The revealing of his true identity happens at his resurrection. When, he erect, when he's resurrected and he gets ready to ascend, he is showing his true authority to the world. He appears to like 500 people, right? And, and, and he appears to the apostles, and he uh, breathes on them the spirit, basically ordaining them for their apostolic ministry as, as the apostles, right? Uh, who start the church. And so Jesus shows his true identity at that point. Another cool place where Jesus shows his uh, true identity is when he is transfigured on the mount, right? That tr- transfiguration where he's hanging out with Moses and Elijah, that's another time that Jesus reveals his true identity. He doesn't, re- he doesn't reveal that to everyone. He only reveals that to a few of his apostles, right? He doesn't reveal that to everybody yet. And so even when the apostles realize who Jesus is, he tells them not to tell anyone. And even when people start to realize he's the Messiah, he tells them to be quiet. Because what he wants is some time to invest in his apostles, to prepare them for their apostolic ministry as they plant the church and they begin the church. And he also needs time to, to show who he is, to teach all the stuff that he teaches us in the Gospels. And so once his identity is revealed, it makes it harder and harder for him to move around, to get around, and to exercise um, uh, his ministry as the Messiah. So it makes it really hard for him to go and, and teach once people start to realize, oh my gosh, the Messiah is here. So he's trying to slow down <laughs> this, this huge uh, crowd of people that start to surround him as he goes on in his ministry. By the time he gets to D- Jerusalem, um, right before the, you know, uh, Sunday, right? Or yes, uh, Palm Sunday, right before he is crucified, he's like marching in as a king. He has so many people following him that he can barely move around anymore. And so he doesn't want demons telling people who he is. He doesn't want anyone telling him who he is before he's ready. And Jesus does not put on, uh, charla- doesn't put on a charlatan show when, he's, uh, when he casts out this demon. One of the cool things I love about Jesus is all he does is he talks, you know? There's certain points where he does some pretty cool stuff where he like rubs mud in people's eyes and makes them see, and he like spits on his, he puts like some spit on his finger and like rubs it in people's ears and they can hear. So he does some pretty interesting things, right? But Jesus doesn't have to do all that stuff. All he has to do is speak. All he has to do is speak. You know, when, when you see um, other, other religions, they have a lot of demon, or casting out demons too. They'll do demon, uh, you know, they'll have people possessed in their villages with demons and these, and these uh, you know, medicine men or whatever, they'll come and they'll shake some some uh, beads around, and they'll chant some incantations, and they'll dance around, and it's this big show. It's this big show to try to get these demons out of somebody's body, and people are screaming and hollering and crying, right? Jesus doesn't do any of that. There's none of that in this gospel. There's none of that. When Jesus wants a a demon cast out, what does he do? He just says, go. He says, get out of here. You're not welcome here anymore. The new kingdom is at hand. He's not a charlatan. He's not going to put on a show for people. The third point is this. Jesus has authority over every kind of illness. That's verses 29 through 34. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Uh, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they, they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So I think we have another one. Yeah, so that's an icon of her. Uh, of Jesus lifting her from the bed because she has been sick and, and he has the authority to simply say, be healed, get up, walk. 
There's times when he says, pick up your mat, right? He, he, he barely even says, get up. All he just says, hey, pick up your mat. You're done. You're done being sick, you know? Um, I, there's also the time where he has authority to forgive sins, and we'll get into that. I think that's probably in the Gospel of Mark. I know it's definitely in one of the Gospels, but um, he simply says to the person, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. You know, pick up your mat and walk. And they, they ask, who has authority to for, forgive sins but God? And they're asking the right question, because <laughs> it's Jesus. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And he says, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to pick up your mat and walk? Or say, pick up your mat and walk. And, you know, he has authority to do both. All he has to do is speak, and people can get up and walk and be healed. Jesus has authority over, to speak over the scriptures, with, with, um, to interpret the scriptures, to, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Jesus shows that no one, uh, that, sorry, Jesus shows that he not only has authority over humanity and unclean spirits, he has authority over illness as well. And sundown marks the end of the Sabbath, and now large crowds are coming out to him. That's why it says, verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. So this whole city idea is, there's a lot of people there. It doesn't mean everybody, obviously, and their brother was there. I don't think every scribe and Pharisee and priest was there necessarily. But I think there was a lot of people there. They were, check, they were checking out Jesus to see who he really was. And so they bring all of their sick to him, and he just starts casting out demons, healing people. He's doing what Jesus does to show that, to amplify his authority of who he is as the, as the Messiah. Jesus' greatest miracle is new life and making us new creations. So Jesus heals many, but not all. And we cannot know why. So, I mean, We've been, healing, we've been praying for people here in this church. You know, we pray for people. We, we've prayed for a lot of people who haven't been healed. We've also prayed for people that have been healed. And we can't really know why God heals some and not others. But one of the things that always comforts me is the greatest miracle is new life and, and making us new creations. The greatest miracle is that Jesus transforms us and makes us a new creation. And that may not you know, mean that we no longer have this illness. What that does mean is that we're going to be a new creation. We're going to love new things. We're going to hate our sin. We're going to turn to Jesus, right? And so Jesus' greatest miracle is new life and making us new creations. Jesus completely restores Simon's mother-in-law so she can serve him. One of the other cool things is some people kind of settle for, you know, kind of a salvation, like get out of free, get out of hell free pass, you know, like, you know, come to the altar, confess your sins, now you're a Christian, good job, you know, kind of you know, pat, them on, pat them on the back. And they don't, they don't realize that Jesus doesn't want you to just repent, doesn't want to just get you labeled a Christian. Jesus wants to make you a new creation. He doesn't want to settle for half, um, you know, halfway. He doesn't want to settle for partly healed. He wants to heal you all the way. You know, some people, they settle for this, you know, once saved, always saved, I'm saved. But they don't grow deeper. God wants to heal the whole person. He wants, you, he wants to bring to completion what he began in you, is what the scriptures would say. And so he wants to complete what he started through his Holy Spirit to sanctify you, to bring you to become who he has called you to be. So Jesus is not interested in half fixes or temporary healings. Jesus desires to make us new creations with the strength to serve him forever. I think some people are scared to follow. Like, you know, Sometimes people look at Jesus kind of like they look at going to the gym, right? And so you, go, you make this commitment to go to the gym, 
and you go, you know, for a few months, and you're doing a really good job, and you set this goal, and then you get out of the habit, and slowly you slip into a bad um, habit of not going anymore, right? And some people look at Jesus the same way. They're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, this year, I'm going to go to the church. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to follow the Bible. I'm going to, you know, and, and they try to do that, um, or even sometimes what they'll do is they'll, they won't do it at all. Like, Instead of going to church, they're afraid because they don't want to commit to something they can't bring to completion. They don't want to just start following Jesus and then have to give up because, you know, I, I wanted to follow Jesus, but I, you know, I just don't think I can do it. I don't think I can finish what I started in following Jesus. And so it's, I think it's important for us to recognize Jesus is the one who will complete what he started in you. Jesus is the one who gives you the strength to follow him. He doesn't you know, fix you halfway or heal you halfway, he will make you a new creation and give you the strength to follow him. So it's not on you to follow Jesus. It's on you to repent and accept his free gift of salvation, receive his Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life, to walk in the Spirit, to let the fruits of the Spirit become a natural thing in your life. And so my final point is this. Jesus Christ, or the bottom line rather, um, Actually, I'm going to show another slide. Do I have another slide, Bustavon, with, um, yes, super fun historical fact. That is a Byzantine um, memorial kind of thing, right? It was built on the top of like a 5th century church, which, which was built on top of like a 3rd century church, which was actually the extension of a house. And a lot of people think this was actually where Peter's house once stood. St. Peter um, would have actually lived here. Jesus may have lived with him. So you could be looking at where Jesus actually lived at one time. So it's really cool to think about. I mean, archaeologists have been digging through this for you know, forever, trying to find all the, all the stuff they can find in it. And they found some really cool stuff to, to conclude that this is very likely the house of Peter the Apostle from at least at, at one time until it became churches and everything else. <laughs> So anyways, we can go to the next, the next one. So the bottom line is Jesus Christ has authority over humanity, unclean spirits, and illness. So he has authority over all of these things, and we'll continue to see that as we continue to go through this gospel. So let us close with some prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that you do have authority, and you do want to transform us and make us new creations. You do want to complete the work you begin in us. You don't want to just let us um, you know, lay there half healed or half fixed. Lord, you want to bring us completely into newness of life as new creations, not just, not just simply um, you know, feeling like we're saved or feeling like we're Christians, but knowing for sure that we are saved, knowing for sure that you will complete in us what we started or what you started in us. And Lord, I pray that we would lean into you, lean into your grace, lean into your Holy Spirit, allow you to pick us up, allow you to carry us, allow you to strengthen us so that we can be the new creations you've called us to, that no demon can stand against us, that we can hold firm to the authority that you give us in your holy word. And Lord, I pray also that um, those of us who are experiencing illnesses can trust you that in this life, we may be healed, but in the life to come, we know we will be healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. 
For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.